Courtship, nice guy on Island 1069 WIISQS. Good morning. Gwen Filosa in with you for It's Too Early. That's the name of the show. Broadcasting right here off Duval Street. Thank you for joining me this morning. Going to go ahead and bring up my guest. I'm super excited to have him on the show. He's a professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of Miami and a research scientist, Ben Kurtman. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Ben? I'm good. Thanks for thanks for joining us. It's not too early, right? You're an academic. No, no, no. Not too early. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. Um, obviously, you're an expert in sea level rise and, and other um, things that are going on with the environment. Could you could we just start? What what exactly is sea level rise? What causes it? Sure. So, um most of sea level rise that we've seen uh, in the past uh, 60, 70 years or so, it really sort of matches your intuition. Uh, if you think of a gas and you warm up the gas, it takes up more volume. And the same thing happens with seawater. As you warm up the ocean, it takes up more space, it takes up more volume. And so we know the climate system is warming. We know the ocean is warming. So a lot of the sea level rise that you see is just a warming of the ocean and just expansion. In uh, South Florida, we also have to worry about land subsidence. As the land sinks, that translates into sea level rise. We also have to, <clears throat> we also have to think about the, the freshwater input. So if you have uh, ice on land, so they think Greenland and Antarctica primarily, if that ice on that land melts, the water flows into the ocean, that adds more mass to the ocean, that raises sea level. Uh, and then, of course, uh, locally, uh, how the ocean circulates affects sea level. So in, in Miami, for example, if the Gulf Stream is really strong, that tends to pull, push the water away, and that tends to actually suppress sea level. If the Gulf Stream weakens, that sweeping away the water is weaker, and sea level rises. So all of these things come together uh, to affect uh, sea level uh, locally. Gotcha. Thank you for for uh, taking us there. And at, at what rate is are, are we at with sea level rise? I mean, where are we going? Uh, well, I, I uh, you know the exact the exact number I don't you know that we're seeing at the moment uh, depends on on locality, uh, and I don't know all the numbers off the uh, top of my head. But uh, what we're looking at is you know something on the order of another uh, a, a, another you know, something like another foot by, say, 2050, something like that. Okay. And how long have you been researching, studying, uh, you know, looking after data? How, how long have you been in the game? Uh, <clears throat> well, I've been a climate scientist since, uh, you know, 1992, 93. So I've been doing this for quite a while. Uh, my focus on sea level uh, is, is somewhat more recent. So most of my work is looking at um, uh, in the past, has been more focused on in, uh, environmental hazards uh, associated with extreme rainfall and extreme temperature. In the last five or ten years or so, I've been more interested in, in sea level rise, in part because um, this, this uh, interplay between the, the currents or the ocean circulation and what happens with sea level and uh, the prevailing wind. So uh, when you think about... Um, a flooding event, right? It's uh, that you you might have during the high tide season. Uh, it's also affected by the prevailing wind. So if the winds are really strong on shore, that's going to drive more water to create local coastal flooding. And so I'm really interested at this interplay between how the winds and the ocean interact 
to uh, create flood hazards. And I think about, can I predict those flood hazards uh, a few weeks in advance, a few months in advance, or even a few decades in advance? Okay. Now, being in South Florida, people are really tuned in to um, sea level rise. People are obviously, you know, we, we, we live, we live down here in the Keys. Like how, I I mean, we, we, we're in trouble, right? Well, um, the, um, there's two ways to think about, uh, uh, the challenges for, for the Keys, or at least there's two ways I think about the challenges for the Keys. The first, the first is, uh, what I call the adaptation timescale. So what are we going to do over the next 10, 15, 25 years to uh, ensure that the, the keys remain viable, that uh, uh, we can live with the fact that there's, there's going to be more water, there's going to be more seawater. How are we going to manage that? Uh, how, you know, putting homes on stilts, raising roads, all of that kind of infrastructure stuff, redirecting water. How are we going to do all those things? That's sort of the adaptation timescale. And so those are big, those are big challenges. But I, I think that, that, that uh, collectively we can embrace those challenges. The, the second category of issues they're thinking about is, is what, I, what I refer to as the mitigation timescale. And that is, how do we stop the climate change that we're seeing, this, this uh, long-term trend, this warming, this uh, chronic, uh, if you will, uh, uh, you know, constant rise in, in sea level? And they're, they're, uh, you know, that requires um, a little more uh, thinking at a, a sort of a continental, a global scale, how are we going to remove the CO2 in the, in the atmosphere that we're, we're dumping? And, you know, so the first order thing we need to do is reduce our CO2 emissions to near zero in the next 15 years or so. Okay. And um, like you talked about raising roads or maybe uh, yes. ele- elevating homes. So there are things that people, the government can do to mitigate effects yes level yes i'm I'm, you know yes in in fact when i'm i'm quite optimistic about uh if we if we embrace you know we're you know americans are really ingenious uh we we really come up with creative solutions to to tricky problems so if we embrace this problem we say look we got to solve this we got to start solving this today i'm actually confident we can do the adaptation problem to in order to pre- preserve our quality of life, the pl- place we want to visit, enjoy, uh, work, play, all of those things in, in the Keys and, and throughout South Florida, I'm, I'm convinced we can do that. I'm also convinced uh, uh, we can embrace the mitigation problem and uh, uh, stop this uh, train wreck that we're, we're, we're looking at. Okay. And one thing I was um, reading about uh, this morning in preparation for you for the interview, it's something said climate change and global warming aren't the same thing. I don't know if that matters, but but is that correct? Well, yeah. So you can think of climate changes as uh, in encompassing as as more encompassing of all the possibilities. Right. So you have how we use how we use land you know, land use and land change. So, uh, you know, suppose, suppose we made the, you know, just as a thought of a thought experiment, uh, if we made the Amazon forest, a parking lot, that would have a huge effect on the local climate and even have a, a global climate effect. We make this enormous parking lot. It's no longer green space. It's, it's it would behave totally differently. That's climate change. That's man, man-made climate change, uh, associated with how we use land as just an example. Global warming, the way to think about global warming is just one component of climate change. That's the, 
the part that's associated with uh, uh, how man changes the composition of the atmosphere. And what I mean by that is how much CO2 we put in the atmosphere and more importantly, more recently, uh, how much methane we're putting into the atmosphere. Okay. Now, you know, you're a researcher, you've been an investigator, you are an investigator, um, you, you've been studying this for a long time. Who, how do you collect data on, on this stuff and, and who, who else is, who's doing it, the data collection? Uh, well, there's uh, uh, in the U.S., of course, uh, the primary data collector for most weather and climate data is uh, NOAA. Uh, mm -hmm. NOAA, NOAA uh, has uh, routine uh, satellites that uh, observe, that are operational, observe the climate system from space. Uh, we have uh, field operations all around the country, uh, rain gauge data, tight gauge data. Uh, we launch balloons on a, you know, several times a day, sometimes four times a day, uh, to uh, collect data. So NOAA has the primary responsibility of collecting data. But NASA also launches satellites and collects data. Uh, the Department of Energy collects localized data. Uh, so many other government agencies, Department of Agriculture, all kinds of other agencies collect data. And internationally, lots and lots of data are collected. And there's a, an agreement to share all that data. Uh, international agreements through um, uh, the World Meteorological Organization to share all of this data. So there's enormous data collection efforts in both uh, uh, over land, but also in the ocean. We have buoy systems, we have ships that go to sea, we have uh, automated drones in the ocean that collect observations. So there's an enormous effort uh, that's been going on for many years collecting climate data. Now, um, again, you're you're an expert in this. Are there times that you're ever on Twitter and you're reading stuff and thinking, yeah, this guy doesn't get what science is? Or I mean, does it drive you nuts to <laughs> see? Oh, yeah, all, all the time. In fact, you know, uh, even before I got uh, very interested in climate change, you know, there's the Farmer's Almanac, right, that would make a, a forecast for next winter. And, it, of course, you know, that was total fiction. It wasn't scientific at all. So, yes, we see... We see things that are unscientific all the time. Uh, uh, and, and whether, you know, there's something about weather and climate, it's part of everybody's experience. And so everybody uh, feels they understand and know exactly how it works. And so they like to talk about it. I remember when, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and so, yes, we do see a lot of um, uh, what I would call, uh, uh, you know, speculation that's not really based on, on uh, our scientific understanding. That is the most polite way I've ever heard of, of putting it. Because, I mean, people have so many uh, opinions, and yet there are facts, right? There's science and facts that we, I don't know, I don't know how someone has an opinion about, you know, what's on paper. And... <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, uh, I do find it troubling. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, I also catch myself, uh, you know, speculating about the law and I don't I don't know the law very well either. So I think it's part of human nature for us to to uh, uh, speculate about things we don't know very much about it. What's important, I think, is always to take a step back and say, OK, wait a minute. I, I, you know, if I'm going to make decisions or if I'm going to vote or uh, I need to make sure I have uh uh, uh, the authoritative voice in mind when I when I make those decisions and 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 sometimes you know with the wealth of information out there it's a little bit hard to find what you know what is that authoritative voice people are are confronted with a fire hose of misinformation and and uh, uh, one of the challenges is developing tools so people can actually figure out where's where's the authoritative voice who should I listen to. 
and and who should we listen to as far as this goes? I mean, Noah and, and people like yourself. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, you don't you certainly don't have to listen to me. But uh, what I the federal government and actually the uh, the United Nations publishes um, uh, these reports, uh, the Intergovernmental uh, Panel on Climate Change. Uh, the 2013 report I was one of the coordinating lead authors of, but but also the U.S. publishes a national climate assessment that is uh, supposed to be a, a um, uh, an expert an expert analysis of what climate variability and change is happening in the U.S. and how we understand that. Uh, so those are the authoritative voices. Actually, I've been working with uh, colleagues from the, uh, a collection of universities in the state of Florida called the Florida Climate Institute, and we've been trying to convince the state that they should, should fund a Florida-centric climate assessment that would bring together all of the climate experts so that they can make uh, an assessment of what are the challenges throughout the state of Florida. Uh, this sort of uh, very regionalized state assessment has been implemented in California really quite successfully, and we were trying to mimic that success and really capitalize on that success for, for Florida. So we're urging, and we have been urging the state to fund a, a very detailed, careful analysis to provide that authoritative voice for local decision makers. And, you know, earlier you used the word optimistic about this, because yes. as I was driving in today, I was like, wow, to study this must be super depressing and, and kind of terrifying, but you have optimism about uh, what we can do. Yes. Uh, one of my one of my very good friends asks me, do I despair? And, I, and mm -hmm. my uh, and my response is despair is for wussies. I think we have to. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We have to. We have to. We have to uh, what what I feel like is I feel is that we have to we have to start embracing this challenge. I'm, I'm you know, uh, uh, I, you can think of you can think of the development of vaccines. I know we're having trouble getting everybody vaccinated, but you can think of the development of the vaccines as here's a problem that we collectively recognize we must immediately embrace, and that's developing a vaccine for COVID. And 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 gosh darn it, we we it was amazing the the, the speed that we we produced a, an incredibly effective, uh, incredibly safe vaccine was was just incredible. Uh, we can do that same kind of thing with uh, enhancing alternative uh, fuels, uh, uh, you know, to power our homes and power cars and, and have a carbon neutral life. So I'm convinced we can do this. The, right now, there's this hesitation to embrace the problem. And so we need, once we embrace that problem, we will solve it. So let's, you know, let's, let's put our collective will into solving this problem. I like it. Well, Ben Kurtman, thank you so much for taking the time. And you know what? Thank you for all you do for, for the communities in South Florida and all over the world. I mean, I, I think uh, what, what you do is public service. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for your time. All right. Take care. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And thank you all for tuning in this morning to It's Too Early. I'm here weekdays at 8.15. I'm going to play a song. I'm going to play a song. And I'll, I'll be back with your headlines and a look at your weather forecast. Uh, stick around, everyone.